Uh, over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the book of Exodus, but we've come to a, a bit of a pause. Uh, we've left the Israelites at the foot of Mount Sinai. We'll return to them at some point. Uh, but uh, just to change pace slightly, I thought we'd look at this book of 2 Timothy over the next few weeks. Um, so if you've got a Bible, I'd like to turn to 2 Timothy. We're going to read just the first seven verses. The reading's printed on your sheet uh, as well. So I'm going to read the first seven verses uh, of 2 Timothy. Uh, So 2 Timothy, uh, chapter 1 and verse 1. Children, this is a letter from Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul, to Timothy, who's a a church leader uh, in the city of Ephesus. 2 Timothy 1 and verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that's in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. These are the words of the Lord Jesus. Let me pray as we think about them a bit more uh, this morning. Uh, Lord Jesus, every word you speak is life. Uh, And so we pray now uh, that you would pour your spirit upon us and enable us to receive these words uh, as life-giving water. Would we drink them in? Uh, Would you heal our souls? Uh, Would you strengthen us? to be faithful servants in your kingdom. Uh, This we ask uh, in your own name. Amen. Uh, What does a healthy ministry look like? What does a healthy church look like? Uh, In the days when there were still Christian bookshops on the street, uh, you could go and find shelves and shelves of books telling you uh, the secret to church growth, the secret to healthy church life. Uh, When I was in Derby, the job I was doing before this one in Leeds, uh, I went on a conference uh, before we we planted that church, Christchurch Derby. Uh, And I came away, it was all about how to plant churches. Uh, And I came away with two folders, sort of this thick, uh, full of different tabs, different sections. There was a section on crafting your vision and values. There was a section on crafting your mission statement. There was a section on crafting your aims for the church. And, and by the end of it, I felt like I'd been in a kind of management seminar. Uh, what, what is the secret to a healthy church, a healthy ministry? Uh, if you're new to, to Leeds, you're looking for a church, uh, what, what should you be looking for? Perhaps you're new to Christianity 
and you're wondering, well, how do I know? There, there are all these, I've heard of all these denominations. Uh, I, I see all these different types of churches. Sometimes you turn up and there's a, a guy wearing robes and a sort of hat. And other times you turn up and there's a, a guy in jeans and a T-shirt. And sometimes there are crosses and paintings and sometimes slightly grim, whatever, off-white walls. How do I know? What's a real church? Uh, 2 Timothy is given to help us understand that. And this morning, I just want to, do, to say two things really, very simply. I want you to listen for two sounds. Okay? If you want to know what real ministry is like, you need to listen. Uh, children, two sounds you will hear wherever there's authentic Christian gospel ministry. Uh, one of the sounds uh, we hear uh, as we uh, look over the shoulder of Paul who writes this letter. And the other one we hear uh, as we stand behind Timothy as he reads it. The two sounds, uh, one that we listen, we hear with Paul, one from Timothy, but both of which shape an authentic Christian gospel ministry. And the first sound is this, the sound of, sound of swords sharpening. Okay, authentic ministry is done in the context of swords sharpening. I told you might have noticed when I read it that... that that Paul writes his letter backwards, or at least backwards as, as to how we write our letters. We normally start letters, you know, dear Auntie Anne, don't we? But in, in the days of Paul, they started with their own name. Okay, we, we start with who we're writing to, dear Auntie Anne, and we sign at the bottom, lots of love, Jimmy. But Paul starts the other way around. He starts by introducing himself, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. This is a letter from the apostle Paul. Who are apostles? The apostles are those group of men officially chosen by Christ to be his spokesmen. When an apostle speaks, it's as if Jesus was speaking to you. Jesus, of course, is the author, the founder of our faith. He's the son of God. That's why he's put on a, on a par with God here. An apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. It's Jesus and God. They're God, short for God the Father. Jesus is the son of God. He is God. But he took on flesh. He became a man. And therefore, the man Jesus could only ever be in one place at one time, couldn't he? Okay? As, as man, if he was standing on a boat in Galilee, he couldn't also be in Nazareth. And so he commissioned apostles uh, to be his spokesman. So that after he returned to heaven, uh, you would know what his plans were for the church. What he was saying to the church. He chose them. Paul is an apostle by the will of God. And he's an apostle of Christ Jesus. So as we read this letter, we're reading a letter not just from Paul, but ultimately from Jesus. Imagine that um, you're upstairs playing okay, in your rooms and um, mum downstairs cooking lunch. Uh, decides it's, it's time for lunch. She calls, you know, it's lunchtime, lunchtime, but, but you can't hear because you're upstairs. So she sends your, your brother up to tell you. Okay, it's lunchtime, mummy says it's lunchtime. Well, when your brother comes upstairs, he's a little apostle. Okay? He's been sent by your mum. And so when he says lunch is ready, mummy says lunch is ready, it's just as if mum said it herself. Okay? But you can't say, oh, that's just what you say, little brother. Okay? I'm not going to listen to you. I only care what mummy thinks. No, here is a messenger from mum. Well, that's what we're hearing in 2 Timothy. This is not just Paul's thoughts on ministry and authentic gospel ministry, but Jesus's. I start there because 
even in the, the, the evangelical church, that's called Bible-believing church, there's sometimes a tendency to want to just begin to pull apart Jesus and Paul. Okay, we know we can't say anything bad about, about Jesus. But, but sometimes Paul says things in his letters that make us uncomfortable. And so there are, there are times those you'd want to separate the two, as if Jesus and Paul are slightly different in their opinions, believe slightly different things. We never dare say we disagree with Jesus. We don't want to obey Jesus. But perhaps we begin to think it's okay to say, well, I'm not quite with Paul on certain things. A number of years ago when I was a assistant minister, uh, I was working in the Church of England at the time, and there was a, a meeting. Uh, someone came from a, um, a different church to, to speak to us about some of the battles the Church of England was going on uh, through at the time. Uh, it doesn't matter the kind, of, the kind of details. But the speaker, who's doing a great job, uh, taught from actually Paul's first letter to Timothy and um, he was talking about some of the some slightly controversial things you know should you have women vicars in the church of England women bishops this sort of thing and uh, he was explaining Paul's position and I, I, was, I was sort of sat towards the back and I could see a, a guy in the congregation a, a guy who's probably in his 50s at the time 60s getting more and more kind of agitated you know you can sort of pick it up at times you can see people that you know, listening to a lecture but they're not happy and eventually this guy just exploded and said that's just what Paul thinks not Jesus that's just Paul not Jesus the speaker and he had a kind of back and forth the speaker said well, what do you mean and the guy said well I, I I know what Paul thinks. I can see, I can see Paul says that only men should be elders in churches. But I want to know what Jesus thinks. I don't care about Paul. Give me Jesus. We can't have that. In fact, the only way to get to Jesus is through people like Paul. If someone asked you, how much of the New Testament did Jesus write? What's the answer? So you want to think about that. How much of the New Testament did Jesus write? There are actually two correct answers. Okay, two right answers. The first answer is none of it. <laughs> Didn't write anything, did he? We've not got a single word that Jesus ever, I don't know what they wrote with in those days, took out a, I don't know, a quill and wrote with, who knows. Okay, we haven't got a single word that Jesus actually wrote. No parchment from the ancient world that comes from his hand. And so actually, if you want to get rid of Paul, because he's not Jesus, you might as well get rid of Peter as well, and Matthew, and Mark, and Luke, and John. If you're not going to listen to anyone, apart from things literally written by Jesus, then you're getting rid of the whole New Testament. No, we can only come to Jesus through these people he appointed, ultimately, uh, to write his word. So in one sense, he wrote none of it. But in another sense, the answer is all of it. <laughs> Jesus wrote all of it. In, in commissioning these particular men as apostles, and then a few others as, as prophets. Uh, he gave his stamp of approval. It's as if every document is signed Paul, and then Jesus kind of stamps it. Okay, in the olden days, kind of kings used to have a stamp. Uh, children, you ever see this? Um, we probably haven't seen them, but you might have read about them. It's a big, big stamp. Put it in some ink and bang it on the bottom of the page. And that meant, yep, I approve this. Every book of the New Testament, and for that matter, behold, every book, although it might be signed, lots of love, Paul, lots of love, Peter, or lots of love, John, lots of love, whoever wrote Hebrews, 
It is stamped on my authority. And it's stamped by Jesus. So Paul is writing, but Jesus is writing. And, and he's doing so with a sound, the sound of swords sharpening. Uh, Paul, as he writes, isn't in the library. Okay, he's not in Starbucks. He's in jail. He's in prison. Uh, for the second time, at the end of Acts, we, we, we read him in, in, uh, about him being basically under house arrest. But it seems he got out. Okay, he was allowed out. Uh, went on preaching. And then at some point, we don't get the story written down in Scripture, but at some point he's clearly been arrested again. And this time it's, well, it's curtains. It's over. He's going to die. Uh, he can hear the executioner's sword being sharpened. Now listen to these words from chapter 4. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. It's time for me to go, says Paul. I'm not getting out of here. I'm not getting out of this cell. They can hear uh, the sound. Children, do you ever sort of hear dad sharpening? Lunch, okay. the sound of a knife being sharpened, okay. ready to carve the Sunday roast or whatever it might be. Paul hears that same sound, but for him it's death. It's the executioner's sword. This is his last will and testament, if you like. This is his manifesto. Because the thing is that the death of Paul doesn't just mean the death of one faithful servant, one powerful minister, one great theologian, though it certainly was that. It, it means the, the, the whole death of an era. Like he, he may not have been the last apostle to die, but, but ultimately, with, with those apostles dying out, there were no men to replace them directly. There were no apostles. No one nowadays has that authority to speak just as Jesus speaks. And so the church is moving to a whole new stage. No more apostles. Okay, we've already moved from Jesus to the apostles. Now no more apostles. From now on, it was going to be in the hands of just ordinary men and women. And men like Timothy. And, and so Paul, as, as he writes, has a great concern in this letter, a great concern to know or, and to show Timothy how the church is going to flourish, how the church is going to go on. Now these men are falling, the sword is falling on James and John and Matthew and Paul. He wants Timothy okay, to pick up the baton for the next generation. But, but actually, Timothy is going to have to minister in the context of the sharpening sword. Because all ministry happens in the context of hearing swords sharpened. Uh, chapter 3 of this letter, Paul will say that anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. There is no authentic, real gospel ministry that doesn't lead to suffering, ultimately. In parts of the world, as we prayed earlier, we know that very literally is the case. There are 
heartbreaking stories coming out of various countries in the world, even in the last few days, about people being executed, martyred for their faith. Nero, the emperor who executed Paul, he may have gone, but the sword hasn't been sheathed. Uh, probably two years ago or so now, I'm meeting a guy who came along for, for a while to, uh, to church. He was just in Leeds for a, a few weeks. Uh, he was from North Africa. And we just got chatting after the service uh, over coffee. And he, he told me about his story, about how he came to faith. He grew up in an Islamic home. Uh, but he came to faith. He, he met a Christian. He was converted. And his family were furious. Uh, so much so that uh, one day when he was at church, his father and brothers turned up with machetes at the church in order to find him and kill him. And he only survived by jumping out the window and running. Yeah, that's in our own day. That's not a story from church history. It's not a story from the Roman Empire. That's a story from 2019. Now, for us, we know in the UK, at least, we're very fortunate. We're not going to be physically persecuted. But real gospel ministry inevitably will, well, will lead to persecution of some sort. If not physical, it will still be there. It may be in time, for example, that certain careers are shut to you unless you quieten down about your Christian faith, unless you compromise on certain things. It may be that you just won't be able to sign up to your company's diversity policy or whatever it may be. It may be that, that, that state jobs like teaching and medicine and the kind of things we hope our children will be just get shut to Christians. Uh, who knows? I'm, I'm not a prophet. But one way or another, real ministry will lead to suffering. You need to know that if, if you're along this morning and just trying to work out a little bit about Christianity. I don't want to kind of sell you a dud. You go to the, you get by a car and the salesman tells you it's the best thing ever and you buy this, it's going to be wonderful. For, and, and, and you know they're conning you. Because there is no conning with Christianity. If you become a Christian, life will get harder in some ways. Better in a thousand as well. But in some ways it'll be harder. Uh, you will suffer for your faith. That's why Jesus said, take up your cross to follow me. So in light of, of the fact that all ministry and true ministry leads to persecution, uh, what hope is there? Is this Paul, is this Paul being sort of depressing, essentially? Is this Paul, Paul saying to Timothy, you're all stuffed? Well, no. Because with each sound, okay, with the sound of sword sharpening, and with our second one we'll come to a minute, with each sound there's a gift given. I hear the gift is the gospel. Even just in these first couple of verses, we, we get a little snapshot of the gospel. Paul's an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that's in Christ Jesus. Jesus conquered death and therefore can promise you eternal life. Uh, Paul ultimately is willing to say, I will stick with Jesus and take the sword rather than abandon him. Why? Because he knows that Jesus promises eternal life. Uh, how? We see the blessings in verse 2. Grace mercy and peace. Timothy, this is, what you, you, this is what you need from God and the Lord Jesus. Grace, mercy, and peace. These three great gifts. Old frankincense and myrrh for, for Timothy. Grace uh, tells us where the gifts come from. Grace is a great Bible word, uh, meaning that God does everything for free. It's opposite, if you like, we'll be working for something or merit. 
Again, if you're new to Christianity, it's really important you, you, you know this and hear this. Christianity and the gospel message is not about trying to be a good person. It's not about being holy and earning enough spiritual points to go to heaven. Rather, it's about accepting that we are sinners. We have not lived as we ought to. We have no hope. And therefore, the only place we can look to for eternal life is God. God giving it to us as a gracious gift, a free gift. What does he give? He gives mercy, forgiveness, not treating us as our sins deserve. And the result? Well, peace. Peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Peace objectively. When you turn to Jesus and say, give me grace, give me mercy. I deserve nothing from you but judgment. My sins should condemn me to hell. But I cast myself on your mercy. What does he give in return? Well, peace. Son, your sins are forgiven, he says. Daughter, your sins are forgiven. You and I are now at peace. The war is over. Uh, that means that even in our own consciences, we can live at peace. Uh, these things are so simple. Perhaps you've been a Christian a while. You kind of go, oh, okay, great, grace, mercy, peace. I've heard all this before. And you have, well, I hope you have. You certainly have done <laughs> from, the, from this pulpit. But they're so hard to actually believe. It's one of the things that amazes me about, my, about myself, my, my sinfulness. I, I, I've been taught the gospel for probably 25 years. And yet still I find it so hard to believe that I'm saved by grace alone. Yet Satan whispers in your ear, your own conscience rises up and says, oh, a real Christian wouldn't have done that. I can't believe you've done that again. God is frowning at you. It's so hard to believe that, that, that God's law, obey this, do this, is not at all the way that we are saved. Paul begins his letter by reassuring Timothy of the gospel. Eternal life is on offer. So yes, you will suffer. And actually, we read at the end of Hebrews, uh, this offhand comment, that Timothy has been let out of jail. I didn't even know he was in jail. But obviously, later in his life, Timothy gets put in prison too. Yes, you will suffer. You may even be executed, Timothy. But God will give you eternal life, graciously, mercifully forgiving your sins, putting you at peace with him. So keep going. Uh, real ministry produces opposition. Uh, the sound of sword sharpening. Secondly, much more briefly, the second sound of authentic ministry is the sound of ministers weeping. Okay, ministers weeping. Uh, here we're uh, not listening so much to Paul as he writes, but Timothy, uh, as he reads, to Timothy, verse 2, my beloved child. He's not Paul's literal child. It's not his son. Uh, but he's his child in the faith. Uh, whether because... He was converted through Paul's ministry or whether just because Paul uh, nurtured him, discipled him. If we read the book of Acts, we see that Timothy, who was, was born in the city in, in what's now Turkey, um, meets Paul and then Paul takes him as a co-worker. They spend ages and ages together. Okay, they, they plant various churches together. Quite a few of the New Testament books are written by Paul. And he says, you know, Timothy's here with me. He, he's his spiritual father rather than biological. But what does Paul know about Timothy? Well, verse three, uh, sorry, verse four, I remember your tears. I remember your tears. Uh, Timothy uh, seems to have grown up in a Christian home. We meet uh, his grandma, 
Uh, Lois and his mother Eunice, who seem to have discipled him. Uh, they themselves were believers, and Timothy has come to faith too. Uh, and now he's in ministry. He's in, in a ministry in a city called Ephesus. Again, it would have been very hostile to the gospel. Uh, and as Paul thinks of it, he remembers Timothy weeping. Uh, why? We're not told explicitly. But as you read 1 and 2 Timothy, these two letters Paul writes to Timothy, you get a bit of an impression of him. In, in 1 Timothy, we read about some of the personal issues he has. He's a relatively young man. Paul says, don't let anyone look down on you according to your youth. Now, he's not a teenager. Sometimes this is overplayed. A young man was a kind of technical phrase. A young man was anyone up to the age of 40 okay, in the way that the, just, that the language works at the time. A young man, 40, young. Worth remembering. Uh, so he's probably in his 30s now, given that all he's done in the book of Acts. But still, he's not, you know, he's not gray-haired. He's not been around a long time in ministry. He seems to be quite an ill man uh, towards the end of uh, 1 Timothy. Uh, Paul speaks about his, his frequent illnesses. Okay, Timothy was probably not a kind of bodybuilder, gym monkey, you know, super fit and healthy, running park run in 18 minutes or whatever. Uh, he, he seems to be a bit, a bit frail. And perhaps even his character was somewhat given to being introverted. I was a thousand and one sort of sermon series to talk about timid Timothy. Um, basically, I think because the alliteration works really well. Uh, it's probably overplaying it. Uh, people talk about timid Timothy largely because Paul says it in verse 7 and 8, uh, not to be ashamed of the gospel, and, and reminds Timothy that uh, he's got a spirit not of, not of, not of uh, timidity, uh, but of power. But just as Paul says, hey, remember that God didn't give us the spirit, uh, you know, Holy Spirit, a spirit of, of fear, of timidity, but of power. It doesn't mean necessarily that Paul, Timothy was a massively timid person, but still, but still, he, he, he is not, to be pictured in our mind's eye, as the kind of strutting preacher who never has a care in the world, never struggles, never worries. No, he is weeping. And the situation around him, as you read to Timothy, would make anyone weep. As we read through this letter, we'll see that, that actually a lot of the people who are persecuting Timothy are, are not so much Roman soldiers and emperors trying to execute him as people in the church. Uh, there are those who want to teach a different gospel and say, no, that stuff that Timothy and Paul are teaching, that is so old-fashioned. That, that is not the truth. We've got the really spiritual stuff. Uh, there are people who will betray Timothy and Paul. Some even who worked with Paul were part of his mission team. Imagine going on a mission team, the Apostle Paul. Have you ever maybe been on a sort of, you know, been abroad on a mission team for a month or something, or done a soul project or a gap year? Or... Imagine being with the Apostle Paul a year or two or more of being discipled by Paul, and some of those people end up abandoning Paul and Timothy. And Timothy's going to face the fact that some people, some members of his church, are just going to walk away. There is much that will make Timothy weep. Uh, true leadership limps. Okay, never trust a leader. Never trust a leader who doesn't limp. Imagine if you're interviewing someone. Um, okay, you need a new minister of, of Christchurch Central. And you're on the interview panel. Uh, what would you be looking for? What do you want to hear from them? Are there success stories? Tell me how many people you've converted. How many books have you written? How many conferences have you spoken at? We want to know whether you're truly spiritual. Tell me how long your prayers are. How many times you've read the Bible. Tell me, tell me, tell me. Tell me about how great you are. 
was once, uh, I won't name the organisation, but involved in helping interview uh, for the leader of a Christian organisation. And um, bizarrely, there are such things out there as Christian headhunting firms, people who will find candidates for you. And so they rounded up a bunch of candidates, uh, and one of them uh, who came along uh, to interview, uh, he was asked a fairly obvious question, tell us a bit about your, your strengths and weaknesses. And he said, well, you know, let me start with my strengths. I'm, 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 a, good, I'm a good preacher. Uh, I'm also a good theologian. I, I think I think well. I'm intelligent. I'm a good communicator. I can get my ideas across to people. I'm organized. I'm very efficient. I'm hardworking. On and on he went. Huge list of stuff. After a while, it started to get a little bit kind of, basically just a bit embarrassing. Like, oh, all right, okay. uh, and eventually, uh, a, a friend chipped in and said, any, any weaknesses? The guy paused and said, well, yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, if you've got those kind of gifts, then inevitably it's a bit intimidating to other people who work with you. So that's a real weakness. <laughs> it's incredible, incredible lack of self-awareness. Leaders limp, they weep. You'd want to be asking, tell me about your tears. And all this might not be painting a very rosy picture. <laughs> might not be painting a rosy picture for those of you, and I know some of you here this morning, want to go into full-time ministry longer term. You want to be Timothy's, as it were. Well, expect constantly to hear that sword grinding and expect to be weeping. Those of you who are going to be married to elders in the church or, or ministers in the church, expect to be weeping. Okay, this is not spiritual Starbucks. But it's important for all of us. Very few of us in the room are going to be, if you like, um, in full-time ministry. Not not, not many of us are going to be doing Timothy's job. But Paul still seems to think it's important uh, that the whole church hear this letter to Timothy. Uh, Again, we normally would put bowls out on the chair, so I appreciate we haven't been able to do that this morning. Uh, And so you might not be able to see. But right at the end of the letter, the very last verse of the letter, 2 Timothy 4, ends like this. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Now, the the you there is plural. You, all of you, you lot. Paul expects uh, that the church is reading this letter over Timothy's shoulder. So Timothy is reading it. Timothy, the minister, is learning about true ministry. But as if the whole congregation is reading over his shoulder, Paul wants them to know what it's like. I'm sure in part because he wants them to know what Timothy is meant to be doing and what real ministry looks like. But he wants them to, uh, to know because... Timothy is going to be of tremendous importance to them. I think there's many sometimes we can be a bit kind of shy of this and it's awkward to talk about, and especially if you're English. But, but at the end of the day, your church leaders, maybe, if you, maybe you go to two, three, four, five churches in your life, the, the, the people who lead those churches will have a bigger spiritual effects on your life than almost anybody else, okay, after perhaps your, you know, your parents and your, your spouse or something. There's no two ways about it, is there? They are the ones you have to listen to preach week by week. They are the ones who will be praying for you week by week. They are the ones who, who will be opening the word of life to you. Those are, they are the ones who will be uh, caring for you. And so a wise Christian wants it to go well with their leaders. See how concerned Paul is to pray for Timothy? I remember you night and day, constantly in my prayers. 
Uh, He's concerned with Timothy's ministry. I want you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Uh, The laying on of hands, I think, is talking about Timothy's ordination or commissioning to ministry. Uh, Read about similar things in Acts and and in 1 Timothy. In fact, when when elders are called, the name for leaders in the the New Testament, when they're called uh, to begin this this work, uh, they have hands laid on them. It's a sort of symbolic start of their ministry. Fan into flame the gifts. I don't think it's so much that Paul kind of zapped a gift uh, into Timothy. Paul, Timothy's been given the gift of being a minister. Okay, in Ephesians 4, being an elder, a minister, is, is, is a gift in and of itself. I've not, not got time now to talk about what kind of qualifies you for that. But, but those gifts uh, in Timothy need developing, growing, not for his own sake, not for his glory, not so he can have a huge platform, but so that the church will benefit from him and so that the gospel will carry on even under the sound of the swords being sharpened. Can I encourage you, please, if you're, if you're a member at Christ Church Central, okay, if this is your church, okay, the elders have committed to pray for you. You'll know this, you've been around a while, you'll know there's the one elder in particular who will have your name on a piece of paper somewhere and will be praying for you. They'll be in touch with you every now and again. But, but please pray for them too. <laughs> A healthy leadership is not a guarantee of a healthy church, but an unhealthy leadership, as actually we're seeing in the wider conservative evangelical world at the moment, some of you may know, an unhealthy leadership is disastrous for the good of the church and for the good of the gospel in the world. But thankfully, uh, the power doesn't rest with Timothy or with Paul. Where is power for this healthy ministry? Verse 7, well, it comes from the spirit. I think in verse 7 when Paul says that God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love and self-control. You could put a capital S there. This is the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit has been given uh, to us. Again, not just, not just Timothy. God gave us a spirit. Not just you, Timothy. Not just ministers or elders. All of us Christians. A spirit of power. You feel weak. And you are weak. But the spirit in you is powerful to enable you to take part in this gospel ministry, passing the gospel down the generations like Eunice and Lois, passing the gospel out to those who've not heard it. You are weak. At work, you're all on your own. You're the only one in your flat, the only one on your street, the only one in your family. You're so weak, but the spirit in you is powerful. It's not that it stops you weeping. Timothy is weeping even though he's spirit-filled. Sometimes we get this wrong. We think, oh, we're weak, and then God gives us a spirit, and it's like... So when Spider-Man gets bitten by the spider and suddenly becomes super strong and from then onwards he's just powerful. No, no. We remain weak. But the Spirit enables us to keep going despite our weakness. He brings the power. And love. Timothy, when he faces opposition, those persecuting, those betraying, he's not to respond in anger. He is to be a weeping warrior, a gentle warrior, a tender warrior. As are all of us, as we respond to persecution and betrayal and of self-control. Sometimes we say, I just can't do it. I can't resist uh, that particular sin. Paul says, no, maybe not. You are weak, but the spirit can. The swords will always be sharpened. Persecution will always come. A church will not look glamorous or impressive. Church leaders certainly won't. But this letter of 2 Timothy 
uh, sets realistic expectations and lets us know ultimately that God has given these two gifts, the gospel, grace, mercy, and peace. God has given you and the Holy Spirit to dwell within you. And with those two gifts, the church is utterly unconquerable. And with those two gifts, the gospel will be passed on down the generations till Christ returns. With those two gifts, real authentic ministry can survive the sword, can survive betrayal, can survive false teaching, and can thrive and see the nations won. So unimpressive, so short. I'm not sure 2 Timothy would sell very well on the bookshelf uh, in the Christian bookshop uh, amongst sort of ministry tracks. And so simple, the gospel and the spirit. And yet that is God's plan to change the earth. Let's pray that becomes true of us here in Leeds. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you for those who have passed the gospel faithfully down the generations ever since the Apostle Paul. We thank you for the the Timothys uh, in particular, uh, even those who've who've worked in our own lives. So we pray so much that you would make us faithful. We praise you. You've given us grace and mercy and peace. And pray that despite the slipperiness of our own hearts, that we would hold fast to that good news of the gospel. We praise you. You've put a spirit within us. Uh, the Holy Spirit, who gives us power and love and self-control. And in our weakness, we pray that you would enable us to rely on his power. And we pray so much that you would build up uh, this church in faithful ministry. Make us prayerful, knowing the power comes from above, not from uh, ourselves. Uh, Make us humble, not resting on our own strength. But use us, we pray, as a congregation. uh, To see the future generations... And the nations around us come to know the Lord Jesus and his mercy. This we ask in his name. Amen.